Uh, this uh, story that we heard is uh, after Jesus is risen from the dead and the disciples had already uh, seen him a couple of times and um, they've now made their way uh, to uh, the Sea of Galilee. So they're kind of back in their home, their home territory. And uh, they're sitting around, presumably, and Peter says, I'm going fishing. And the other disciples say, okay, we're going to come with you. Um, it's interesting is what are the disciples supposed to be doing? Um, Jesus has commissioned them already and, and sent them out. He said, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And they go back to their previous occupations or their normal occupations of going and being fishermen um, instead. But what's interesting about this story and the way that it's told is their fishing is almost like, almost told as a metaphor for what their future ministry is going to be. Because Jesus, when he first called his disciples, he said, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men or I will make you fish for people. Um, and, and then they go and they go and actually fish. So they're still maybe not getting it right, but the way the story is told is it, is it kind of provides this metaphor or this picture of what the ministry is supposed to be like. And so there's some interesting things in this story at the beginning. Jesus is actually on the shore, but the disciples don't recognize him, which is really strange because they've already seen him resurrected twice, um, except for Thomas. Thomas has only seen him once, but the other ones, they've seen him twice, and, uh, but there he is on the shore and they don't recognize him. Well, isn't their ministry kind of like that. Ministry's kind of like that. We don't always recognize Jesus. We don't always see Jesus, even though he's there. And Jesus calls out to his disciples and says, you haven't caught anything yet, have you? And ministry is like that too. <laughs> Nothing's happened. It's not working. And they say, no, we haven't caught anything. And Jesus says, well, how about you put the net on the other side of the boat? Now, certainly I've talked about this before. The fish must be the same on both sides of the boat. Like, how is this going to make any difference? But for the disciples at this point in their journey, this has actually happened to them before. Jesus came to them before and told them, if it's not working, move your net to the other side of the boat and... There was this miraculous catch of fish. The nets almost broke. This happened when Jesus first called his disciples. And now he here, here he is resurrected again, and he says, move your nets to the other side of the boat. What I think is, well, why didn't this occur to any of the disciples to try this already? Um, maybe it has something to do with Jesus that's there. But as soon as this happens, they then have this miraculous catch of fish. And then it says the disciple whom Jesus loved said, it's the Lord. Then they recognize Jesus. The moving of the nets, what they've done before, the miraculous catch of fish, it's in hindsight that they can spot Jesus, right? After the miracle, after it's taken place, oh, right, that was God doing that. It's often like that. We don't see God when we're in the middle of it or when we're trying something or when we're before it, but it's after the fact where we'll say, oh, wow, God did something. And that's what's going on in this story. Um, yesterday I had to go look up why it says 153 fish and if there's some special symbolic reason for that, there isn't. 
Um, no one seems to be able to find out why it says 153. There's some nice theories that have been throughout history of why 153, um, but no one can really agree on, on why. Um, the best explanation seems to be that there actually was 153 fish. Um, that it's not really meant to be symbolic in any way, but it actually lends authenticity to the story. And you think, well, you know, if you go caught a large bunch of fish, you, you probably just say, well, we caught a large, large bunch of fish, but that's actually not true. If you caught 153 fish and you got this big thing and it was a miracle, you'd say, wow, how many did we get? And you'd be tempted to count them. And so the disciples probably were tempted to count the fish, and then that just got passed down as, and that day we caught 153. So... I think it just adds this realism to the story in a lot of ways, right? Um, but it's, uh, there's, there's some nice uh, number theories, uh, which I'm not going to go into, but I think it's kind of a neat, neat feature of the story. Now, the, as the story goes on, we find out that Jesus has made a charcoal fire for himself and the disciples on the beach, and he's making a meal. He's already got his own fish, which is kind of interesting, and he's got some bread with him, and, uh, and he's making a meal for them. And he says to his disciples, come have breakfast. This, this to me is really interesting. There's this awesome miracle that Jesus does. There's this huge catch of fish. And you'd think, well, well now what? Surely Jesus is going to send them out, or maybe he'll reprimand them for not already being sent out, or something like that. But no, Jesus says, the next thing to do is let's, let's have breakfast together. That's what we should do. Be with Jesus. And I think what's important here is that even when you're in ministry, even when you're out there trying to, to act on behalf of God, what's important is going and having breakfast with Jesus, is being with Jesus. The other thing that's important here is notice how easily Jesus becomes in control of everything that's going on. Jesus is now leading, right, where Peter was leading before. He said, I'm going fishing, and the disciples go with him. Now Jesus is in charge. Put your net on the other side. Come and have breakfast. Now they're following him. And that is also true, or supposed to be true, of what ministry is about. Jesus is leading. The story then tells us that this was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Why, why would the story tell us this? Why would the narrator say this is the third time? I mean, other than it is actually the third time. Because important things happen in threes. Last week I mentioned this. There were, in our last week's story, there were three uh, times that Jesus said, peace be with you to his disciples. And I mentioned then that important things seem to happen in threes, and Jesus likes to see, seems to like things in threes. We're about to, the rest of this story, once they're on the shore and they're by the charcoal fire, um, there, there are th there's another three that takes place. Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? Three times beside the fire. There's something else that happened three times beside what was described as a charcoal fire. And that was Peter denying Jesus three times. And it's really specific in John, saying that the fire was a charcoal fire both times, which is really interesting. Peter denied Jesus three times, and now Peter is asked by Jesus, do you love me three times? So there's an importance behind the repetition of this, 
It also seems redundant, as we find in this story. Peter seems to get annoyed by the time the last time he's being asked the question. But it's not really redundant. It actually adds power and weight to what's going on. So our text says, Jesus says to Peter, do you love me more than these? And there's some debate about what more than, what's he talking about? Is he talking about the fish? Do you love me more than the fish? Um, which would kind of mean, do you love me more than the work that you do? Um, or is he talking about the other disciples? And I think that's probably more accurate. I think Jesus is saying, do you love me more than these other disciples love me? Do you love me the most? I think is what Jesus is asking. And we need to know something about how Jesus thinks about love in order to understand this conversation that takes place between Peter and Jesus. In John chapter 13, uh, verses, around verse 34, um, this is right after the Last Supper, okay? Um, or right after in John's Gospel, the, the foot washing, and it's leading into what's called the farewell discourse of Jesus. So Jesus is, is going to talk for, talk, he talks for a long time in John's gospel, but he's going to talk for a really long time, and it's his farewell to his disciples, um, everything that he wants to tell them before he goes uh, to the cross. And this is near the beginning of that. He says, I give you a new commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now, Peter's response to this is really interesting. He says, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Like he senses this is the farewell discourse coming up. Where are you going? Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterwards. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you, follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. That's what Peter says to him. Now, this is told slightly differently in Mark's gospel. Um, Peter's declaration is, is this. In, in Mark 14, 29, Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. And then Jesus says, truly I tell you, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, this is verse 31 of Mark 14, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. So they all said it, but Peter is, is the leading one, the leading voice. So Jesus' three questions to him, you need to know this background. Do you love me? It's a, it's a reinstatement for Peter. Can he answer this question with integrity? It's a reinstatement for him, but it's also a test for Peter. And it's the occasion of Peter's particular commissioning for him. Do you love me more than these other disciples love me? It's actually a test. Because previously, Peter would have just answered, absolutely I do. I love you the most. Even if everyone else falls away, I won't. Jesus is saying, will you impulsively boast again that you are better than these others? 
Will you claim superiority in your faith and your love for me, or will you humble yourself and serve even these disciples? That's kind of the implication of Jesus three times questioning him. Peter replies essentially every time, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And and Jesus replies with a variation of feed my lambs or tend to my sheep. Now, Peter and Jesus, in this conversation, they use actually two different words for love. Jesus tends to use the word agape, and Peter uses the word philos. Agape is divine love, God's love. And it's the way to to get your head around agape, the, the Greek word for this divine love, is you have to understand it as love in action, love Uh, that's doing something. So Jesus uses that word when he commands, love your enemies. He uses that word when he commands, love your neighbor as yourself. Those times he's talking about agape, it's it's not a feeling. Like he's not saying, make sure you feel like you like your enemies, because you're not gonna feel that way. (laughs) He's saying you have to choose to act lovingly towards your enemies and towards your neighbor. So it's this, this cho- there's a choice involved, there's, there's action involved, and it's the kind of love that God has. It's this divine, pure love. Philos is closer to a feeling of fondness. Um, some will say it's brotherly love or fraternal love, but I think that kind of hides the meaning a little bit. This is really the love of friendship. In fact, in Greek, the word for friend is pretty much the same word. It's, it's philos. We're supposed to love everyone with agape. We're supposed to do that. But there will be only some people who are our true friends, right? There'll be only some people who are true friends and who we are especially fond of. And, and it seems like those things have happened accidentally, right? We're just, I just like that person. I like being around that person. They're my friend. Agape is the higher form of love, okay? The love with which God loves and a love that we can aspire to and choose and our actions uh, need to be in accordance with it. Philos isn't that, that higher form, but it's this, this kind of feeling of, of being friends with somebody. Now, Jesus plays with these two words for love in other places in the Gospel of John. And many simply say that Jesus just uses the words interchangeably, but I'm not so sure. I think maybe he was a little more intentional than than just using them interchangeably. So back in the farewell discourse, Jesus describes love, the love between him and his disciples in John chapter 15, verses 13 and 14. He says, no one has greater love, agape, than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Philos, you are my friends, Philos, if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. There's Philos again. Because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love agape, one another. So this is 
more of the background that we must have in mind in this conversation between Peter and Jesus. And now I'm going to tell you the conversation again, but I'm going to give you the, the Greek words that are used so that you can kind of get a sense for how they're talking to one another. Jesus says to Peter, do you love agape me more than these? Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love philos you. <laughs> I philos you, he says. Now, in that, notice that there's no hint of Peter comparing himself to anyone else, right? Jesus responds and says, feed my lambs. And he says again, do you love agape me? And notice that Jesus has dropped off the more than these part of it. That's now gone. Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I philos you. Jesus says, shepherd my sheep. Then he says to him again, do you love philos me? Jesus changes his word. And Peter gets angry or upset because he's asked him a third time. And then he says, Lord, you know everything you know that I love. I philos you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. And so if we think of this in the context of a test for Peter, this is how it goes. Jesus says, are you doing, the, are you doing agape with me? The way God loves you, the way you're supposed to love your enemies and your neighbors. And Peter is basically saying, of course I agape you, we're friends. Because the people who have philos also we're going to have agape. Jesus, it's you and me, he's saying. We're friends. And I think by the end of the conversation with Peter, Jesus is saying, yeah, now you've got it. Now you've got it. Now what does this mean for us? See, agape is this wonderful pure kind of love, and you'll hear sermons about how we're supposed to do that, and God agapes us, but it's also, it can be very misleading, because agape can be distant. It's not supposed to be, but it can be seen as distant. It's pure, it's divine, we can agape our enemies, but our, you see, our relationship with Jesus has another kind of definition and dimension to it, and that's friendship. Think about how Jesus behaves in this story as a whole. He's calling out from the beach. You haven't caught anything yet, have you? If he was just some stranger and I was in the boat, I'd be thinking, who's that guy? But if I realize it's my friend, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, here we go. <laughs> okay, you know. Then it's fine. Then it's fine because of the relationship. The disciples say no, and he says, throw your net on the other side, and they haul in this miraculous catch, and they realize it's Jesus. He's risen, and he's here with us again. It is God with us. Miracles are happening. It must be time to give him all praise and glory. Maybe like Thomas in last week's story, we should all get down on our knees and cry, my Lord and my God. And Jesus is sitting by a little fire. He wants us to move towards something much closer than the distant way we often have of relating to God. He, he wants to just come and have breakfast with him. 
we, we talk about ourselves as children of God, as brothers and sisters in Christ, but, and those are close, but somehow friendship stands out. Friends are, they're in it together. Uh, they choose to stand next to each other regardless of what happens. And that's what Jesus does and what we need to do with him. Peter denied he even knew Jesus, and Jesus, the true friend, comes to Peter to reconcile with him. Peter becomes the true friend by the end of this story. Jesus commissions Peter to tend his sheep. They are really in it together now. Before, Peter probably thought he was the best disciple. But now, as a true friend of Jesus, the, word best, the words best disciple or most faithful person or the one who's loving the most and all of that, those, those phrases wouldn't be in Peter's vocabulary anymore. Peter's commission that he gets, it actually begins with the men who were right there with him on the beach. Instead of boasting about how if they fall away, I never will. How he might be better than them in his faith. He is now ready as a friend of Jesus to shepherd them. Jesus is, or Peter is really ready to take the disciples fishing. He is even ready and Jesus points to this in what he says to Peter. He is even ready to uphold what Peter once said to his Lord before he could probably grasp the depth of their friendship. I will lay down my life for you. We know that is what happened to Peter. He was martyred for his faith in Christ. At the end of the interchange with Peter, Jesus says, follow me. That is the fundamental call. It takes us back to the beginning. Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. I will make you fishers of men. Each of us are invited to this. Fishing for those who often do not realize they need to be caught by Jesus and his love. Each of us are invited to this life to be in it with Jesus, to be his friend. Amen.